Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman and I am a health journalist, which means I spend my life asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we are talking about the vampire facial for the vagina. Is it the answer to many women's midlife intimacy problems or just another way for private clinics to cash in on their insecurities? As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us at MedMinefield. This week, Eve is on holiday, so I'm joined in the studio by... Dr. Tessa Dunlop, historian, writer and extremely accomplished broadcaster. I have to admit, I feel very intimidated doing any kind of presenting with someone who I admire so much for their skills. I thought that introduction was smooth as a baby's bottom. It was quite brilliant. It just flowed. And everyone's going to be very falsely excited that I'm a doctor. I'm the wrong sort of doctor. Well, a, a doctor of history. I am a and, doctor of history. And but I... the, the reason I ask you to come along is, is because you have, in fact, apart from being an award-winning historian, mm. you have written some extremely vital, I think, stories for Man on Sunday Health on incredibly personal issues. Yes, and and also I was going to caveat the wrong sort of doctor on paper, but actually all my history is oral history from the Mm. 20th century, Mm. working with our oldest women, so spanning a century of being female and how actually we talk about, oh, women getting the vote. Yeah, but when did we control our biology? Because that is where liberation began and it hasn't finished yet. And you're right, part of that journey was rolled into my own experiences because I'm a product of modern society. I delayed having a second child. I banged in more hormones than I'd like to... uh, Well, I don't know what the long-term repercussions of that will be, but I have the second child. And, of course, now I'm at that second gateway. We've done infertility, and now we're at what would have once been called the change, Barney, the change. And, of course, everything is all about the menopause at the moment. We're we're experiencing the menopause revolution with... Do you feel like you're almost vicariously experiencing it? I absolutely am. I mean, celebrities on TV talking about it in private clinics, selling all kinds of treatments. This vampire facial for the vagina is, is squarely being marketed at midlife women. It's funny, isn't it, when you start focusing on something. I thought, right, I was was reading up about it because I have gone to the doctor and I'm having my bloods done at the moment. And on the way here, I tell you what, global warming does not suit hot flushes. I am overdressed for my age (laughs) in late October. I've had to take my vest off in front of Barney. Dear listener, she managed to do it without taking off her outer layer, so... (laughs) And I still have beads of perspiration on my cheeks. But yeah, this it's funny how even your underwear choices change incrementally. I had lunch today with a 27-year-old and she was saying, oh, I just feel uncomfortable if I'm not in a thong. I thought, oh my God, a thong. Like, how would that work with a vampire facial for the older woman? Do you know what I mean? Some things just become a little inconceivable. So the vampire facial was something about 10 years ago, I think it started to get talked about because people like Kim Kardashian were having their blood extracted, whizzed up in a centrifuge to remove platelets and liquid parts of the blood, which are supposed to gather together and aid healing and rejuvenation etc and, and and the vampire facial you have it injected back into your face it's it's a non a non-invasive facelift it rejuvenates the skin plumps the skin makes you look younger kim kardashian did it i think simon cowell was supposed to gwyneth run. paltrow didn't she do oh, one maybe. for her her gloop lab netflix show does she have well, it on her I face or her uh, vagina her uh, face i don't think right. we ever got anywhere near her vagina <laughs> I would have remembered. I got an email last week 
presumably Halloween themed, mm. suggesting we did something on vampire facials for the vagina. And this was it was news to me that women had this done. It's apparently being sold as as a, a rejuvenating technique for intimacy in midlife. It's and is that something you think might be needed? Well, certainly I'm now at the age where if we're not in a pretty dried out marriage, we're exiting one in terms of my, my friend groups. And that means they're back dating or we're thinking, gosh, we better start having proper sex with our husbands again or we're going to have to start dating. And the pressure is on. I'm also in that weird transition period where I get the odd period. And even though I had to do rounds of IVF to have a second child, I weirdly had a chemical pregnancy the other day. So... But that means that? where you test positive and then it fades away because you're old and your body, you know, it's like a very, very early miscarriage. So I'm weirdly at that, that, that stage where I think, I don't want to take contraception. I'm definitely perimenopausal. And my doctor said, oh, well, you ought to do something. And then they all suggest the coil with hormone, which is another thing to be mm. inserted up your dish dosh that I didn't really fancy. But if not, and you don't want to have, because it's quite stressful having a chemical pregnancy, you can't use a condom at my age. It's all a bit drier than it mm. was, Barney. Forgive me. So I want to ask about this vampire facial, if, it, if it's not just a plumper, but if it also helps lubrication, to what extent it's also a placebo makes us yeah. feel better because it looks better. I mean, the entire vaginal rejuvenation, I'll admit one of my um, fascinations is going to cosmetic surgery conferences and and following all the latest trends mm. in, in cosmetic treatments and injectables and all, all that kind of thing. And Have you uh, had anything done? I've never, I've been, I, I could have, Anything I wanted done for free. free. Well, because I haven't. Uh, the reason I've now got a, a shaggy sheepdog fringe is because it's cheaper than Botox. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've, been offered, I've been offered everything. I've not done anything. Why not? That makes me I'm even too more sceptical. I'm too risk averse. I'm the kind of person that gets the one in a million side effects off common antibiotics. Like I, I, You're what the late Prince Philip would have called a sissy, my boy, a sissy. The thing is, I, I've also written enough about people who've had these treatments yeah. and ended up with, you know, a bit falling off or a permanently drooping face or, you know, these kinds of things. And you see the, the extreme ends of these kinds of things. You do, but I have to laugh at both of us in our midlife. I've got hair down to my eyebrows and you've got hair up to your nose. It's, it's one way of one, hiding it. One way of hiding things. Also, heavy rimmed glasses. I mean, it's absolutely the number one tip I give to all men. You can't see the eye bags. I'm still in denial about losing my sight. Interestingly, on menopause, the way it's experienced differently in different parts of the world. In this country, we very much focus on hot flushes and mood swings. In India, the primary side effect is apparently blurred vision. And in Japan, it's shoulder pain. Get your head around that then, Barney. And then some men will tell you, see, it's all in the head. <laughs> if you can experience different things in different countries. So part of what I've noticed at these plastic surgery conferences is the rise in these treatments. And the patient group is the midlife woman. I, I was thinking when I first heard about, you know, the design of vagina and, you know, we'll do labiaplasties and we'll tuck everything away and we'll tighten it and we'll do all these kinds of things, that it was going to be porn stars. You know, it was going to be women who wanted to wear, you know, very sheer underwear in their Vegas shows. But or, also or, or whatever. young girls who are dating, because that's changed hugely since I was dating. Almost every girl now 
shaves down under, so you don't really have any hair, which exposes the sort of idiosyncrasies of your vagina much more than if it's a big bush, which covers a multitude of sins. As we've discussed, you have a beard, I have a fringe, likewise down below. But if you're getting rid of all of that, then you can see it. And and if you're an older woman going back on the dating game, if the fashion is now to go hair-free, so be it. Wax it off, babes. Vaginal rejuvenation is a booming business. Would you believe the global market is currently worth two billion? And two billion. It's, yes, two billion, and it's set to rise by around ten to thirteen percent per year, according to industry analysts. Well, after this podcast, it's going to skyrocket, <laughs> assuming that we get a positive verdict from your experts. We'd say that these are kind of newfangled things and, you know, it's it's the unrealistic expectations on women and we've talked about, you know, pubic hair trends, etc. But is there a historical context? You know, what have women historically done to appear younger and more in the flush of youth and sexually youthful, I guess? A lot has been done and a lot, by the way, has then been embroiled and recast through Hollywood as a bit of myth-making. You remember that Maggie Gyllenhaal movie where, you know, doctors would prescribe vibrators you know they originally tried to pleasure them with their hands and then with vibrators to get rid of hysteria that was a discredited academic article that led people to believe that was true that was happening in the early 19th century it didn't happen Mm. but people were experimenting with vibrating tools you could have vibrations for sciatica you could have vibrations to calm a baby down and then you could put a different end onto a vibrating machine that was phallic to help you relax so there were all sorts of things so it was a a relaxation medical for women I, I pin on that word hysteria because it's long been the sort of whipping boy of, of femininity is that we are emotional that we're unstable it was one of the reasons for not giving us the vote and we they was, used to lock women up for yeah absolutely. being hysterical that was burn you if you were really extreme and certainly preclude all of us from voting for a very long time because we were emotive and and the worst case scenarios were hysterical. So there was this idea that, you know, an orgasm could help you relax, but that women became more hysterical when they had the menopause. And the menopause, it was first named in the early 19th century, I think it was 1821 by a Frenchman. But way before that, you know, in ancient Greece, you have Aristotle referring to women over 40 as menopausal. And it would appear that the menopause over millennia has arrived later and Mm. certainly in first world countries we tend to have the menopause a few years later than in less developed countries and again that might be about diet it might be about numbers of children etc the science is still to an extent out on that but to reduce this hysteria women of wealth because if you're poor you don't have you know managing your menopause in the 1900s as a poor woman ain't going to happen you know you just Mm. have to shut up and put up but there were different treatments of course there was a lot of freewheeling with drugs remember the magic circle and all that time in the late Victorian period and cannabis, morphine. There was a, a sort of lead solution that was injected up the vagina. All sorts of... Exp- For what? To reduce the hysteria to- of the menopause. Oh, really? To alleviate the conditions. And in other cultures, nobbly rough roots known as cohosh, C-O-H-O-S-H. Oh, yeah, the black cohosh. Yes. Oh, I knew you'd know about <laughs> yes. it being a Well, you true could get it from Holland and Barrett. Well, there we go. Well, but, but before you go and spend your pennies, which are ever more precious these days in Holland and Barrett, the science is out on whether it actually does improve yeah. menopausal symptoms. But it was a very popular remedy. Lots of herbal remedies, sort of from ragwort onwards, were peddled. Because if you think, I mean, science has now become much more, it's interrogated. We have standards, we have peer reviews, we have medical journals. But it was a big fat guessing game 
100, 150 years ago, as likely almost to kill you as it was to cure you. There were sort of cases of leeches being put on women's vaginas, all sorts of odd experimental procedures. Well, um, I, I mean, I wouldn't say the, the vampire facial, the platelet-rich plasma injections to the vagina are massively different. There isn't a huge evidence base that I was able to find. Uh, lots of anecdotal case studies. But I think, well, let's hear from one now. On the line now, we have Sam, who had the vampire facial for the vagina, the platelet-rich plasma injections into her most intimate of areas. Sam, thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. Can I ask, what was it that led you to seek out this treatment? Why did you have this treatment? It sounds quite extreme. Well, I guess it is quite extreme. It's not every day you go around having injections into your vagina. But um, for me, I've got a um, skin condition called lichen sclerosis. And I had it because there's been some evidence that it is helpful for that condition. Forgive my ignorance. What is lichen sclerosis? What were the symptoms? Basically, I think I've had it all my life. But when it, start, it started to get quite bad when I was about 14. But I didn't actually get diagnosed until I was 34. The symptoms are very similar to thrush. Or they can be very similar to thrush. So soreness, itchiness. And then for me, it developed into painful sex where I would split every time I had sex, where the skin is so damaged and so thin that it would just split. But um, a lot of people also get some fusing and it's also you can get sort of white patches where the skin's damaged. How horrible. Yeah, it's awful. Had you tried other forms of treatment for that? Because I know that there are there are certain topical treatments that you can use for lichen sclerosis. Yep, I have tried pretty much everything. I tried steroid creams, estrogen cream. Um, I also had um, fat transfer operation where they take fat from my thighs and injected that into my vagina as well. I had that done twice. And when you went to your GP and, and went down the sort of conventional medical route, what were their recommendations? To be honest, my GP have never been very helpful. I even saw a gynaecologist who just said he didn't know what it was pretty much or that it wasn't thrush and that was that. So in the end, I went private and went to Harley Street and saw a gynaecologist there who did a biopsy and that's when they diagnosed it. See, I have this obsession that the NHS are brilliant for emergencies, cancer and childbirth, and they're not so good with what I call the inconvenient creaking gait, like a very sore vagina. Yes, I would agree. It is, it's chronic. It's not going to preclude you from work, probably, it's, but it's going to actually really reduce your quality of life. So tell us first, do you mind, when you injected fat, where did the fat go? Pretty similar areas to where the vampire PRP treatment goes into your vagina. They sort of, they, what they do is they take the fat, inject that into the areas that are troublesome. And the idea is that stem cells grow new skin or, or healthier skin. And sorry to be needing, wanting to know, but which exact, like, is it the flaps, the labia? Where, did, where do you need to get this fat put in? So lichen sclerosis can be different for everyone. But for me, it's, if you think of your vagina as a clock, so it's six o'clock at the bottom in between sort of like the front and the back, that's where I have it the worst. That's where I split. That's where I get all of the pain and the, the skin splitting. The soreness and the itchiness can be sort of all around, similar to thrush. But for me, the problem with splitting was at, at about six o'clock. So is that where you had the fat inserted? Yes. Wow. And did that help? It has helped, yes, but it, it didn't completely cure it, unfortunately, which is why I decided to try the PRP treatment. And could I ask, where did you hear about the PRP treatment? 
Actually, I went on to a TV show and they were the ones who referred me for the treatment. Ah, okay. And so take us through the the vampire facial uh, procedure. What was it like and, you know, did it hurt? I'm not going to lie, it isn't pleasant, but it's nowhere near as bad as you think it's going to be. Basically, what they do is they take your blood and they put it into a centrifuge, I believe it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And they get the plasma from your blood and then they inject that. Originally, the PRP treatment or the vampire treatment was supposed, it's called the O-shot, and they use it to enhance orgasm. That was the original Mm. reason for it. But obviously, it's been proven to help with other conditions as well. And when they're using it as an O-shot, do you know where they inject it? In the same place as you were receiving it or in a different part of the vagina? I don't think so. I think it's into a different part. I know they inject into what they believe is the G-spot and they also inject it into your clitoris as well. Right, I was about Yikes. to say, did you get two bangs for your buck there? Maybe you got an enhanced so orgasm. When I, when I, yeah, when I had it done, <laughs> she, did, she did that for me as well. So she said that while I was having it done, she may as well do the full treatment. So I've had that added bonus. <laughs> and has it been an added bonus? Have you enjoyed the full Monty more than ever? Um, I have. It has made a difference. Um, it certainly um, enhanced it. Wow. And but with regard to the medical problem that you had, how did that respond? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'm not splitting anywhere near as much as I was, if at all. And I don't suffer really with any soreness or itchiness. And do you have to repeat it? Like, is it something you have to go back and have done a year later? Or is this for life? You're future proofed? To be honest, I think that they've, they've only been doing it for this for such a short amount of time. I, I'm not sure anybody really knows, but I have had it done twice. And did you have it done again because it began to wear off? It wasn't that it wore off. It was just that I was still splitting ever so slightly. It was nowhere near as bad. So the specialist just said, let's do it again. I think it might be something that you need to maintain every couple of years. But I don't think there's enough evidence to know the answer to that yet, really. And final question, how much has this in total cost you? First of all, your whole kind of journey, could you put a price tag on it? And just your PRP treatments? The whole journey, I mean, I I know that you can get fat transfer now privately, and I think it's about £5,000 for each treatment, and I've had that done twice. I was lucky to be in clinical trials, so I got that on the NHS. And then the PRP treatment is uh, about £1,200 each time. Yikes. Yeah, that's quite a lot of added to shopping bill, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah. But you would say worth it? I would say it's definitely, definitely worth it. Oh, fascinating. Thank well, you for being so generous with all the details and sharing. Because <laughs> okay. if women don't share, nobody knows. We grope around as if in medieval times, don't we? Thanks so much for finding time to talk to us, Sam. You're very welcome. Look at the vaginal hole. I'm sure it's not called that. What's it called? Uterus, isn't it? <laughs> um, For the vaginal. <laughs> the hole... The hole. Which hole? I, you know, I know it's a long time since I did biology GCSE. It is extraordinary given the number of miscarriages, ectopic pregnancies and IVFs, etc. I've had. And I've even had, you know, when you have a dodgy smear and you have a bit of your cervix burnt out. Oh, yikes. I had that even and I still can't. I, That's quite a serious. Uh, to tell you that, the secondary benefit of having that done I had constant thrush and I no longer have thrush. I've just been triggered to talk about that. Sam mentioning that her lichen sclerosis was like thrush. It's a horrible thing, thrush. And that stops you having decent sex. And then you 
the impacts on your relationship. Constant thrush. And, and I went to get this um, because they said it was, you know, one off a cancer. You know, they grade it. And then suddenly you find yourself bumped to the top of the NHS queue if it's bad enough. And I went and had it burnt out and it was done in a flash. Didn't hurt at all. It's the best thing I ever did. So I do recommend women to get their smear test regularly because I'm afraid I'd missed a few years due to my preoccupation with reproduction. Well, a lichen sclerosis is a, a very under... It's it's not well treated, although some doctors know what to do with it. Some GPs, they recognise it and know what to do with it. Often her experience, I've, I've heard that over and over from readers who've written to Dr Ellie Cannon, our GP columnist. Mm. And it sounds like they just go round and round the houses and or, or they've lived their whole life thinking that they need to put up with this kind of thing, that it's just one of those things that women need to... But it is. It's just part of being a woman that you, you have to be in pain. But I think we're in such a weird space where we expect so much of science and science is so imprecise. And I think I was really reminded of that when I was going through the whole infertility journey. With If you mm. look at the success rates and the amount that they simply don't know, to an extent, yes, it's the medical profession under the cosh of the patriarchy. My grandfather was a knighted physician. You know, it's absolutely so the sort of hierarchical structures and also the priorities, I think, are very take a long time to change. But but also, we're sometimes not there yet. We don't have all the answers. And you do have to do research, and research requires money. And you're always trying to put out bushfires in the NHS, the pandemic being the most obvious example, but not the only one. Yeah, and in the meantime, there is a huge burgeoning private medical industry that's all too ready to offer people treatments that they say might be a solution to all their problems. I mean, IVF is a classic example. Yeah. You leave your credit card at the door. Yeah, and the other one I had where there were sharks swimming in the tank was ME. I was literally in bed for a year. I was 29 years old. I was freelance. If I didn't get out of did bed, I, I didn't that? earn any money. I don't know, but you do now. I don't normally yeah. tell people, but since long COVID... We've been writing about long COVID this week. I felt more able to say that I had ME because it was something you never admitted if you were a freelancer because they just think you're going to flake out. Ironically, if you're freelance, you're much less likely to flake out because you don't get paid unless you turn up. You were one of those people that I, I, I wonder where all the energy comes from. So it really surprises yeah. me. I remember thinking, right, my pot of money has been significantly reduced because I really pulled back on the amount of work I was doing at the time. And where do I spend the money to try and get better? It was even making those decisions was stressful. And I know a lot of people say Emmy's not in the mind, but I do believe stress exacerbates it. Mm. And it's very difficult to know what to invest in. You know, Do you go for acupuncture? Do you try untested herbal remedies this whole hospital's geared towards this sort of thing mm -hmm. and I do really worry because it's when people are vulnerable that's when you know there's dollar signs in the eyes of phony doctors in white coats yeah. It's not it's not a nice space to be in. Thank goodness for you in the mail, Barney. Well, exactly. Holding holding the, the, the medical profession to account. Not that there's any suggestion that our next guest needs to be. We have featured Dr. Shirin Lakani of Elite Aesthetics before in, in the in the paper. Eve Simmons went down to spend a day at her clinic watching all the different procedures that she carried out. So it's it's great that she's agreed to to talk to us now. Dr. Shirin, thanks so much for finding some time to talk to us. We're discussing today the vampire facial for the vagina. And would you like to take me through exactly what is the treatment and why are you offering it? So it's actually called the O-Shot, which when it was originally named was basically named after orgasms because it does improve that area. But it's essentially, it's the, it's the same kind of thing. You take out the blood, centrifuge it and then... Yeah. Absolutely. So it's a treatment using PRP. So what you're effectively doing is concentrating the platelets 
and that's what's used in the treatment. So the platelets are the part of your blood that start the healing cascade, for example, when you cut yourself. So what the treatment involves is actually tricking the body into thinking there's been an acute injury in the area we're trying to rejuvenate. In other words, it sort of attracts blood there, does it? Because when you have an orgasm, it doesn't the blood then go to those bits of your vagina or clitoris and so forth? Not quite. So what we're doing, so when you cut yourself, you get platelets aggregating at the area of the wound and they release their growth factors. And not only do they stop you bleeding, but they attract stem cells to the area and cause the healing. So what we're doing with the vampire procedures is we're tricking the body into thinking there's been an injury in the area we're treating. So then the body goes into repair mode. So it produces new blood vessels and it repairs any nerves that have been damaged and it increases the amount of collagen and things like that. So it's a rejuvenating treatment in that area. Can you explain the difference? Is there a difference between the vampire facial and the one applied to the vagina? Yes, so the vampire facial is when you combine PRP with microneedling to the face. The one that is done vaginally is actually injections of PRP into the tissue. What What are the benefits of it? You know, they're, they're quite wide-ranging, wide aren't they? Yeah, I mean, so all of the PRP procedures are about rejuvenating the tissue. So in the vulva and the vagina, it's used to improve sensitivity in the g-spot area if you like in the clitoris it's also improves vaginal atrophy as well because it improves the quality of the tissue what does that mean forgive me for for not knowing atrophy is that dryness what is that it's not just a dryness so atrophy kind of means loss of tissue and shrinkage of the tissue so it's about the dryness but it's also thinning of the vaginal tissue so it's a sort of youthening process in in some respects yeah, it's a rejuvenating process. Yeah, absolutely. And it works really well in menopausal atrophy because it improves the dryness, it thickens the vaginal tissues, it makes women more comfortable. It can help reduce some of the incontinence symptoms that women get as well. How does that work? Because I've got to say, I can't do star jumps anymore. It's a great loss. I know you may laugh Tess at me, is, Barney. Tess is being but... persuaded right now. Uh, I think you should come and see me for some treatments because I offer a whole load of treatments that can help with that. It happens to young women as well. It's not just because they're getting older. Yes, it gets more frequent as you get older. But the number of women in their late 20s, early 30s that I see who can't do star jumps anymore. And it's those sorts of things, jumping on a trampoline with their kids, etc. My mum is, I've tried to put podcasts on our phone and she just doesn't get the hang of them. So she won't be listening to this. But if she was, she would tart and go, oh, you know, like so much pressure on women. Why can't they just sort of, you know, go with the flow? But is this, why should they go with the flow? Or Absolutely. I think that women traditionally have been told to just get on with things and put themselves at the bottom of the heap. And you're always taking care of everyone else. And actually, we've come to a generation now where we don't want to do that. I certainly don't want to fade away into a corner. And would you say the, the majority of your clients, forgive me for asking this, but are they single? You know, is there a, there is a whole kind of, I think, highest number of sexually transmitted diseases are now in the over 50s, sort of carefree, rediscovering each other and not as safe as some of the young people are. fastest rising group. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you. There we are. Yeah, the vast majority of my patients are actually in relationships. Are they? And many of them do come and see me with their partners as well because the O-shot, the PRP treatment actually treats 
is a skin condition called lichen sclerosis. And statistics say it affects 1% of the population, mainly women, but it does affect men as well. And it absolutely destroys their vulva. They can't sit, they can't sleep, they can't urinate comfortably because of all the burning and itching. And they can't have intercourse with their partners because a lot of them are in so much pain and they tear as well. So on the one hand, you have a serious medical condition like lichen sclerosis. But on the other hand, it's, it's about improving stimulation. It's about improving your sex life. Anecdotally, from your clinic, if you're really honest, what's the satisfaction level for that latter group, those who are looking to give themselves a bit of a boost once they're sort of entering into the perimenopausal menopausal stage? So there is a difference in results between young people who've never, ever had sexual satisfaction in their lives and older people who've lost it through ageing and menopause. The first group are more difficult to treat because it could be for a variety of reasons that they've never, ever experienced an orgasm. Whereas if I've got somebody who's had orgasms in the past and they've reduced due to ageing, it's much easier to get a good result in that group. Also, it's quite a subjective result because you're asking the patient what their result is. Mm. One last question. You mentioned that you inject it into the G-spot. Have we discovered where that is? I said, if you like the G-spot, I was being particularly non-specific. So there's an area on the anterior vaginal wall and it's an area, it's not a spot. And it's where the clitoris internally, the anterior vaginal wall and the urethra are in close proximity. And there's a high density of nerve endings in that area and glands. So in other words, up at the back where the end of the penis would be? The anterior wall is the front wall, so facing upwards towards the belly button. And it's at 12 o'clock? Around that area, yeah. Around how far in? That depends on the patient. How do you determine where that that location is then? Well, for me, I don't inject in the G-spot. I inject in that region. Right. So you inject close to the entrance of the vagina. And you're looking for specific changes in the mucosa to know when to, where to inject. Well, there you have it. Well, that's interesting. I find, and maybe it's oversharing, but I've never, that's never, I've never had an orgasm from that G spot. I wouldn't be able to have an orgasm without a clitoris. Well, if you were taking notes, <laughs> Dr. Sheeran has, yeah. has explained it all now. Yes, yeah, she has. So now we know what's all Look, gone wrong. Maybe I need PRP. <laughs> Dr. Um, Sheeran. How much do you charge finally for a session? So for the O-Shot, it is £1,350 for one session. Gosh, well, there you go. Start saving. Dr Sheeran, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us today. Take care. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, I have to say I have no more questions left for any of this. I think we've, we've, really, we've really covered it all. But now we know where the G-spot is and you can have yours rejuvenated if you can shout out. one that What's it? 1,300. Yeah, Yikes. I forgot to ask her, you know, how many times would I need to come back for more? That's the other thing. It's the top up. It's the reason I don't go down the slippery slope of Botox because you do one lot and then you have to go back in six months. I mean, that's mm. poor value for money, isn't it? Once you put a roof <clears> on the house, if it started leaking in six months, you'd want your money back. I just say, yeah, don't start tinkering. No. Well, but that makes me a rather dull guest for your show. One has to do a little bit of exploration around the edges, does one not? (laughs) I mean, it's funny how does the end justify the means? When it came to having a baby, I would have stuck anything in my body, you know, big fat needles in it all went, no holes barred. But when it's non-essential... 
that's different. And I can see with Sam, who had a specific medical condition, like in sclerosis, you know, you are going to want to stick anything in your vagina to take the pain away, to stop the problem. Mm. But if it's a bit of atrophy, atrophy, atrophy. then I, I can live. I've got wrinkles all over now. I can live with a bit of that as long as it doesn't dry out. Well, next on the line, we've got uh, an incredibly trusted source of information for women in midlife, Dr. Paula Briggs, who's a consultant in sexual and reproductive medicine and also the chair of the British Menopause Society. Dr. Briggs, thanks so much for joining us. We're discussing today PRP injections for vaginal rejuvenation, I think is probably the correct term. And as a consultant in sexual health, is this something that you've come across so interestingly, we spoke yesterday and I would have said that I knew absolutely nothing about it. I'm at the International Menopause Society World Congress. We've just had a lecture on it. There's a stand. I was talking to a colleague about it. So whilst I think it's not mainstream, it's obviously becoming more available as an option, as a treatment option. The lecture was on lichen sclerosis, but as you described at the beginning of this conversation it's also being recommended for vaginal rejuvenation we've actually spoken to a patient who had the treatment for lichen sclerosis and had an incredibly good result she was very very happy a 44 year old new mum she tried all kinds of other things conventional treatments and also been part of a clinical trial into fat transfer which hadn't worked very well but she said that the prp injections had helped does that reflect what you'd heard at the conference yeah so they showed before and after pictures but it's always difficult with those things because sometimes it's quite difficult to see but I think patient feedback is important but I also think with new treatment modalities it is important that randomized control trial data is available and that there's an element of suggesting to patients that potential treatments which aren't free they're not available in the NHS might work and that's always difficult mm. This one's very expensive. It's, I don't know what it costs, actually. £1,300 for a single treatment. Yeah, that is a lot of money. I, I spoke to a colleague here who'd had it for a problem with her Achilles tendon and she had paid about £300, so that seems extremely expensive. How would it help your Achilles tendon? Is that, again, about the sort of rejuvenation process? They inject these things everywhere. No, no. So I think it's to do with growth factor and stem cells and it's introducing your own biological material in order to do that. So from what they were saying, and I I would be relatively sceptical, I'm not saying it works or it doesn't work, and it worked for this particular individual. From what I understand is it stimulates natural anti-inflammatories, but she said it was extremely painful. She couldn't take any anti-inflammatory medication because that would have upset the process, and it took three weeks, but complete resolution of her symptoms which is quite interesting I suppose from something like that. She had plantar fasciitis. I spoke to somebody earlier this morning who had Achilles tendon thickening and was very sceptical. So I think you know with new treatment modalities you could ask 10 people couldn't you and they'd all have very extreme views on whether it was an acceptable thing or not. There's an element of it which I'm a cynic about too, the sort of hocus-pocus aspect and the money and the kind of focus on the vagina. There's that a bit untouchable, it's so personal. But we spoke to a, a lovely doctor, Dr. Shirin, who said, well, there's no big pharmaceutical money to be made in this and that's why there haven't been trials. But you mentioned there 
rigorous testing? How, how could that be encouraged? Because I feel I don't want to get excited about something like this unless we can back it up. It feels that that might be exploitation almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of exploitation going on generally with menopause. So I think it is really important that new treatment modalities are adopted by NICE and NICE will only do that if there are really robust randomized clinical trials that use you know a non-active comparator so you might have somebody who has their blood taken it's centrifuge to get the platelet-rich serum and then I think they add hyaluronic acid but that would have to be compared with something like saline and until that was adopted by a regulatory authority, there would be no way that you could say that you could recommend that treatment. I think it would be very difficult, but it's a bit like laser and I do laser myself and NICE are still waiting for randomised controlled trials with sham laser. A laser for what? what? What do you do laser for? For urogenital atrophy, not vaginal rejuvenation. And I think when you call something rejuvenation, it's always very difficult to remain sort of medically driven. Urogenital atrophy is a medical condition that causes a lot of suffering. It has a major impact on quality of life and it's very common and there are good treatment interventions and particularly for women who've had hormone dependent cancers, whether that's breast cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, we do need to look at different treatments for that condition, which is to do with the effect of lack of estrogen on tissue quality. So this is the new kid on the block, isn't it? Laser, you know, at the particular meeting I'm at now, we were talking about laser in 2018 and it was very controversial then. And you get people who've got very extreme views about newer, more controversial treatments, but I'd keep an open mind about something that couldn't do harm, but also thinking about, as you said, potential exploitation, because people will pay money if they're desperate. Yeah, it's a bit of a chicken and egg, isn't it, by the signs of things? It is, it is, yeah. And I think that's a really good description, because for anything that is new, you really need that good quality trial data. But until it's been introduced as a concept, you're not going to necessarily get those trials being developed. Paul, I was going to ask, what is it that you do recommend? I mean, you've you've mentioned the laser, but what is it that you do recommend for urogenital atrophy? So for for most women who've got no contraindications to hormones, we would use vaginal oestrogen. That's the kind of go-to. There's lots of different preparations. And then the next stage would be to use things like DHEA, which is a precursor hormone, or a CERM, that's a selective oestrogen receptor modulator that's taken orally. And then I would say kind of third line would be things like laser or potentially in the future, these platelet-rich plasma infusions. So it is something that you could see yourself recommending having investigated it? Um, No, I mean, think for me still very early days. And I, I would say I'm an early adopter, but I would like to see a bit more information about this. Fascinating. It didn't look that nice to have it done. You know, it's an injection into a particularly sensitive part of your body. I think I would need to be quite desperate in order to have somebody stick a needle right into the G-spot, as we've been hearing about. Just quickly, you know, we hear all about HRT and coil with a hormone replacement. Do things like that stall atrophy or help lubrication and, and the sort of vaginal area or not? That's not the best treatment for lack of oestrogen affecting urogenital tissue quality. You're much better to deliver it to the problem. We've kind of talked about the vulva and the vagina, but 
the condition also affects the bladder. So you might find that women who are already on HRT actually also get this condition and they need the additional vaginal estrogen therapy. And you can use things like vaginal moisturizers and lubricants as well. They are an option for women who can't have hormone therapy, but they don't really solve the underlying problem. Whereas replacing that missing hormone does solve the underlying problem. And I think, you know, lot, lots of women are affected and they might think it's a part of the aging process or that they've got thrush or BV and they don't get the right treatment. So it needs discussed more. It's good that you want to talk about it. And I suppose it's good that you want to focus on some newer treatment options. Well, look, we really appreciate you discussing it with us and how busy you are. So thanks so much for finding the time. No, it's okay. Thank you, Paula. Thank you. Bye. So are you convinced? Well, I actually found Dr. Paula quite reassuring because when she started speaking, I thought, oh, no, we've taken everyone on this sort of red herring. You know, it's unproven. And then actually she seemed to sort of come round to this idea, like the chicken and an egg, like where do we start with a new treatment? There is always going to be this phasing in this period of uncertainty some people it's it's not going to work for but presumably you're not going to give it a try unless you do have a spare 1300 like don't stake your last 1300 on this is what i would say you know more important that you can you know clothe your children perhaps I mean, I'm always very sceptical of any treatment that heals the Achilles tendon, plantar fasciitis, gives you a facelift and yeah. also rejuvenates the <laughs> vagina. I mean, you know. But, but, but arguably why? I mean, if you think the, the sort of the healing process of the body, if you, if you cut yourself, for example, wherever you cut yourself, that, that you know, the, the rejuvenation that's required, you know, the healing, it take, goes on in any part of the body. I had to snap the tendon in my finger. I could see that both would require platelets and attention. And so and, the, and the body's a, a weird thing. You mentioned the, the placebo effect, but I'm always uh, very keen to point out that, you know, I mean, who cares if, if it works? The placebo effect's massive. I think it's that thing of which bit of my body is tricking me into believing this works or is it genuinely working? And I think it's probably the same with the PRP. If you spent 1,300, <clears throat> if it's been a fairly invasive process, if it's taken a while to recover because there's a healing element, isn't there? Then things are going to feel a bit better and settled. And does it matter if it's real or if it's imagined so long as it's worked for you? Mm. Do you know what? It's just occurred to me, these clinics could all club together and offer 100 women at least free treatment in order to trial it. And that's what they should do. Well, we'll let Dr. Shirin know. I'm sure she'll thank you for that, (laughs) Barney. She won't be a guest again. (laughs) That's all we've got time for this week. You can read all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in good old-fashioned newspaper format on mailplus.co.uk or on the Mail app. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week, so we will see you then. Goodbye and happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs>